Hello there. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. I'm Tom. And I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. Hi, I'm Justin. I'm here today. How's it going, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's up, Justin? Thanks for coming out, bro. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. <laughs> no doubt, man. We're glad you stopped by because it's a very special episode today. Uh, we're going to be talking to Mason, bass player of Enemy Soil, a uh, legendary uh, grindcore band, and also currently in Reeking Cross, brutal noisecore band. We're going to talk to him about that, about some other projects he's been involved in, the history of Enemy Soil, uh, crazy punk stories and all sorts of weird stuff that he can offer up to us and, and whatever else he's got, huh? Mason, you there? Mason? Hey. Hey, how you doing, brother? Thank you so much for uh, uh, joining us on the Heavy Hole Podcast. This is Will, as you know. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, Will, and and uh, Tom and Jordan. Justin. Justin. Plus, Justin. I'm uh, so sorry, Justin. Oh, it's all good, buddy. My brother's name is Jordan. So that's true. My, nice. my grandmother gets that mixed up. <laughs> no so offense. so no. you're in good company with his grandmother there, man. We're probably the same age. So. <laughs> Um, but no, uh, thanks a lot for uh, being on the on the podcast, man. We know you're busy. We know you're a family man, um, and and all that. But uh, I just wanted to kind of get into it and ask you a, a beginner question. Just uh, where are you originally from, Virginia? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I grew up for the first ten years in a really small rural town in North Carolina. My dad was a Southern Baptist minister of all things, and uh, it, it was one of those towns with one grocery store and one drug store and one church. And he, he happened to be the minister at the one church, and, um, and and one day it got struck by lightning and burnt to the ground. Um, which, if, if you know, if that's not a sign, I don't know what is. And and so we ended up moving up to Virginia, um, which is where I, I've you know, with with a couple of exceptions here and there, have lived subsequently for the last however many years it's been. Okay, wow. I, well, that that's uh, that's very profound. Yeah, I, <laughs> you threw a curveball at me with that. One. Yeah, sorry about. All that. All right, no, no, so no. You, that's yeah, very interesting. So you come from black metal. <laughs> <laughs> you were, yeah, that's where they got the idea from you. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, I was going to ask you um, a little bit about your family, if there was music or rock and roll in your family. Um, well, how, how, how does the, the idea of music relate in your family? Was there music in the church? You know, there was, but I, I fucking hated it. It was, it was garbage. Um, but I think I was eight or nine years old, and my dad, who I, I, I love, he's, he's an amazing person, has changed significantly since when, when I was a kid. Um, but at the time, he was a hardcore, you know, Southern Baptist minister and all of the kind of shit that comes along with that. But at, when I was eight or nine years old, he brought home from church, because I was listening to the radio a lot, and he brought home a uh, series of tapes that talked about backmasking. And at the time, that was considered a, a pretty big deal. Could you elaborate um, on that? It's backmasking. Yeah, I have no idea. You, were, you guys don't know what the fuck back. Are you serious? You don't back know what backmasking is? Dude, come on. You got three people here scratching You're our head. No, I'm not did. that old. Okay, so when, like in the, in the early 80s in particular, with the whole uh, satanic panic thing happening, I actually, I guess it's sort of 
this sort of precedes oh. that for a little bit. But okay. when you would play, okay, so the, the Christian propaganda was that when you played a certain record backwards, say, for instance, this, this is a, a legit instance, uh, according to, you know, the Christian lore, uh, Queen, another one bites the dust. You play it backwards, and it says some sort of satanic message. Whereas to me, it just sounded like a slightly more tolerable Queen. Uh, but but so my dad brought me these tapes, you know, because I was enjoying, you know, listening to the rock on the radio a little bit too much, and so he brought this series of tapes and had me listen to them. And you know, had like it have Ozzy, it have Zeppelin, it have Queen, um, man, just so many bands. And uh, that was actually kind of what got me into. I mean, it actually backfired completely on yes. him because I was like, "Fuck, this is awesome!" It's like, not best. only do these songs kind of rule, they're actually talking about Satan too. Like, I'm fucking down. <laughs> they're legit. So, uh, yeah, he kind of poisoned the well early on um, with with that. So that that was actually in, in some sort of weird, perverse way, uh, it got me even more enthusiastic about about. You know Zeppelin and stuff. Stuff I don't listen to so much now, but it was definitely sort of a gateway into into listening to other stuff. And you know, anyway. So I'm shocked you guys don't know what Backmasker. I, I I know the uh, mm-hmm. I know the concept. I heard about it throughout the whole sat- Satanic Panic yeah, thing. I just uh, I don't know what it's called. That's the first time I've I've heard yeah, the proper as, name. As as the oldest uh, host here on the podcast, I'm a little embarrassed. But I, you know, the, <laughs> the Satanic Panic and and the, the the yeah the backwards messages. I'm very familiar with that and intrigued by it. But the term backmasking, you did you did throw me for a little bit well, of a loop. Yeah, it's that. wrapped up nice in a slick term. Yeah, so. usually oh, it's, usually it's packaged as just one of your high friends telling you <laughs> in, a, in an awful way. Just like backwards, John is dead. It says it. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, to be fair, you know, Southern Baptists, particularly in North Carolina, you're kind of one step up from like snake handling kind of shit. So it's uh, it's a very niche kind of kind of thing. So it's it's understandable, but yeah, yeah it was a thing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's so, break this record player. To- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so the, maybe that's how hip hop, like record scratching, was kind of invented. Was back right? yeah. Is hip hop Satanist? Oh man. <laughs> Oh wow! All right, so so ma- masking back to your uh, to to your your upbringing. Uh, so so obviously there's a little bit of a of a rebellion against this you know the church music and and that kind of thing and and then the, the back masking makes rock and roll cool. How old are you when you start noticing uh, punk rock and hardcore? Is, is punk and hardcore the first thing or is metal the first thing? Uh, probably metal to be honest. I, oh, okay. I love to say it was punk and hardcore because that sounds so much cooler. But it was definitely metal, and, that, and not that's, only that's was cooler it metal, in my but it was hair metal. It was it was definitely hair metal first. It was Def Leppard and uh, old Motley Crue. That first Motley Crue album, which I will love to the end um, with no no uh, apologies. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely metal first, and then. Um, a buddy of mine, Vaughn, who was later in, in, in Enemy Soil, actually, a vocalist in Enemy Soil, uh, he was dating a girl in high school, and I'm a few years younger than him, who was writing for a zine from Texas called Gray Matter. And uh, he would let me borrow these zines that she gave him, and they had reviews of punk records, black metal records, uh, grindcore even record, you know, grindcore sort of in its nascent period. I think this was around Carcass Reaper Putrefaction era, mm. um, Old Lady Drivers. They, they were doing their demos. My timelines are a little skewed, but um, 
in any case, I was getting, you know, these zines from Vaughn and I'm mostly listening to a lot of hair metal and like weird shit. And the descriptions of these bands and the reviews were so evocative. I mean, just, just so amazing. And I, I was, my, my curiosity was peaked. I just, I needed to hear them. And it was a couple of years between the time that I read about, you know, say Mortuary Drape from Italy or Old Lady Drivers or Rednecks in Pain or Aspirin Feast or any of these, these old mans. Um, and, and I, you know, would save up lawn mowing money and send off, you know, cash in the mail and occasionally you'd actually get a tape or record back. Um, always kind of a crapshoot back in the day. <laughs> Yeah. And and you'd hear it, and it's sort of like how how did it align with your you know perception of the review? So anyway, my my experience with a lot of more extreme stuff was really reading about it more than hearing it initially. Uh, I think I um I was talking to uh, to Martin from uh, this this sorry this is a horrible name drop, but it's actually. It, it fits into what I'm talking about. Uh, we, we, Reeking Cross played one of my bands played Ear Slaughter a few years ago, and uh, Blood was playing Blood from Germany, who's just one of my fucking favorite bands of all time. Great and band. I got to talk to Martin Wichgener from Blood, which was just a huge deal to me, and 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 like it just one of the best things that's ever happened to me as a result of playing in stupid grind bands. And got to talk to him about like you know I was a kid and I read about your record before I ever heard it and saw the the record cover of Impulse to Destroy and was so captivated and disturbed and weirded out and I, I got to read about it and see the album cover before I ever ever even heard it and had this sort of preconceived idea of like what these guys are doing and how evil and depraved it is huh. and then finally getting to hear it. It was one of the few things that actually measured up where I was like, wow, this is legitimately fucked up and I don't know how to feel about it. And it took listening to it several times to actually kind of process it and assimilate and, and decided, you know, oh, this is actually pretty sick. And that, that was something that was actually pretty special for me getting to experience that kind of via people's other people's enthusiasm about the records before I even heard them. Uh, and I. I hope that doesn't sound too bizarre, but um, at the time it was kind of a special, special thing, kind of getting to read those reviews and send off for demos and yeah, and get to hear them and kind of you know experience all that shit. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah, there's a disconnect uh, today that I've pretty much experienced throughout my whole listening career, which is just that, where most of the time you're gratified online with just downloading something or using Spotify, some streaming service, or Napster back when I was first like listening to music. And you kind of don't talk to anyone else before. You just kind of take it in for what it is. So to build anticipation through press is yeah. a very interesting thing. And uh, I mean, it's pretty cool. We've talked about it before. When you try so hard to get a record in your hands, like when you have to send in the mail for it and you yeah. wait for it, you, you, you better learn to love that record. That's yeah. so fucking <laughs> true, man. But at the same time, I don't want to over romanticize it because, as you guys may know, and I, I don't know what, what your ages are, but I, I really bristle when people over overly romanticize that because it gives me such pleasure when one of my friends says, Hey, have you heard that new fucking, like, you know, exposed his rot record or sulfur cautery record. I'm like, no, I I haven't. And five seconds later on my phone, I have it pulled up. And and I I legitimately love and appreciate that so much because I remember 
distinctly the anxiety and the anticipation and the excitement of sending your 20 bucks off to, you know, fuck knows where and kind <laughs> yeah. of not not being sure if it was ever going to if your mailbox was ever going to, you know, produce that record or, or if it was lost forever and, and that was yeah, yeah, beer, no, uh, beer yeah. money for some guy somewhere yeah I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, down talk it I'm just uh, saying there's a uh, because of the experience of uh, sure. receiving the music is so different like you have, so true you have this investment and this anticipation uh, back in the day that you don't really have that anymore and whether that's a good thing or a bad thing I don't know but I think that um I think it does help make like lifelong fans of people. Um, like I, I still try to buy albums, even though I have, you know, I use Google Music like every day. If yeah, I see yeah. something, sometimes I'll just spend five bucks on on Bandcamp, mm. and that will force me to listen to it more in a way. Yeah, you know, I, I so, find uh, I'll buy. I usually buy formats if it's. A, a new band that I'm really excited about for some reason because I feel like they're doing something that invigorates me more, you know, with with death metal or grindcore, whatever it happens to be, or if it's like uh, a classic release that I never owned on vinyl or something, you know, that I'll I'll, I'll you know spend for that. So I'll still buy formats. I'm just a little, you know, now money has a little bit more meaning now that I'm uh, you know an adult. You know, when I was a teenager sure. and you know you, you you said you know mowing lawns, I worked at a movie theater. You know the. You know, the, the money didn't have as much meaning to me. I could just, you know, spend all my money on uh, vinyl or whatever, man. Now, you know, nowadays you got to be a little pickier about your merch. But, Absolutely. but um, I just, you know, getting back to your personal experience with with music and the band, and everything. When when do uh, does musical instruments and playing instruments come into your life? Is it bass at first? You know, it was actually classical guitar at first. And I think it was middle school, and one of my best friends and my only friends, to be honest, at the time, um, was, a, was just a phenomenally talented classical guitar, you know, fingerstyle player. And I, I just kind of, as as an excuse to hang out more, I was like, oh, you know, I'm I'm the guitar, I I can do this, and kind of picked it up and um, was just really uh, really interested in classical guitar for for a period of time and that was kind of the introduction to you know just middle school so it's it's nothing too intense but that was kind of the uh, gateway into actually playing um playing an instrument my dad had a guitar from however long ago that i'd picked up and and used for that and so yeah my buddy basically just kind of got me inspired to, to give it a shot and uh and it was a lot of fun, and I, I was probably, to be to be honest, a better guitarist at 15 years old technically than I am at 44. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that was kind of it. Uh, well, so did, were you in any uh, bands before Enemy Soil? You know, I, I did. Uh, the reason, sort of, the genesis of Enemy Soil was I had done, I. I so I was, you know, doing lawn mowing. I was even doing babysitting, which, in retrospect, sounds fucking crazy because I can't imagine who anyone trusting me with their kids when I was a 14-year-old little shithead. Um, but, yeah, my neighbors actually hired me for, you know, I'd mow their lawn or babysit their kids, and they, they paid me. And I would send that money off uh, for demos, and, uh, you know, I, I would kind of pick based on, you know, cover art like we used to do. And so I would get, like, a Gothicles demo and... Uh, you know, a conflict record and a sockeye record, and just like this weird kind of uh, combination of, of, of random shit. Mm -hmm. And um, out of that, I kind of started 
you know, getting really interested in punk and hardcore and started doing my own stuff. And no one in my school at the time was even marginally interested in it. I had to convince one of my, my friends who played drums uh, to record a demo with me, which was sort of like a, a combination of like UK anarcho-punk and like Southern California peace punk kind of shit. And so I got him to help me record a demo and I sent it off to Rich's zine for a review, which I had found um, before its untimely demise in uh, uh, Tower Records nearby. It was on the, the magazine stand there. So I had sent the uh, the uh, demo off for review to Rich. And that's kind of that was kind of the genesis of, of, of Enemy Soil. But yeah, that was pretty much it prior to to Enemy Soil forming, which is my kind of half-ass attempts at putting together you know, a punk or hardcore kind of thing. And How old were you at this point? I want to say 13 or 14. Wow. Um, early so, 90s. So Enemy Soil formed when you were like 13, 14? You know, I think, I think by the time Rich came over and we actually jammed I was either 14 or 15 years old okay. um, he was four or five or he is four or five years older than I am uh-huh. um, so it was kind of a big deal to me I mean it's not a big deal now obviously but when you're in high school you know how it is like when you have someone like you know you can buy beer you know that kind of shit yeah, you know, where yeah, it's like yeah. someone's five years older than you it's like a whole different world and uh, so yeah I sent my you know shitty punk demo to Rich for review for his zine and I, I think I'd included my phone number in the letter, and he called me. And, uh, you know, I was living with my parents, obviously. And uh, and he was like, hey, dude, you know, I you know, got your demo, and that's cool. You like extreme stuff, and, like, you want to jam sometime. And it's like, yeah, that's, you know, that's cool. You can, you know, let's let's do that. And so he, he was literally over, like, two or three days later, and uh, came over to my parents' house, and... Um, I hope I'm not totally derailing the line of questioning. By the way, please stop me if I am. No, no, no. This is going. Okay. Yeah. No, we want um, this. <laughs> but he, so he came over and um, you know he brought his like fucking awesome. I envy this shit to this day. His like you know BC Rich Warlock, you know yeah. U.S. made model. His <laughs> fucking sick guitar. Like it was, it's a great guitar. He still still has the fucking thing. He played it at MDF um, when we played last last year. Um, anyway, so he, he brings that over, and I'm just in awe. Like, immediately, like, dude's five years older. He's got stickers, and there's a guitar of, of bands I've never even heard of, you know? It's glowing. And, like, yeah, it's, it's, you know how that is. Like, that, that feeling of, like, oh, like, there's someone actually, there's someone else around here who, like, is into this shit. That's amazing. Yeah. And it even knows more stuff than I even know about. Like, that's that's the sort of thing, like, when you're, like, a little shitty suburban, like, 14 or 15-year-old kid that is... You know, life changing, like legitimately. Absolutely, yeah. That's your your biggest influences in the very absolutely. Moment. Dude. The only thing you're thinking about is is uh, you, you want to keep jamming with that person, or at least talk to them, pick their brain and shit. And you also want to seem cool at the same time, so you don't want absolutely. Oh my god, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you nailed it, and and that's exactly how it was. So he came over and he came in, into my room and like busted out his fucking BC Rich, and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm just amazed and. Uh, and so he starts busting out, you know, bolt thrower riffs, and, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, you like this bolt thrower song?" I'm like, "Who's bolt thrower?" And he's like, "You don't know who bolt thrower is? What the fuck is wrong with you?" Like, <laughs> you know, my my very you know conservative like Southern Baptist parents were like, 
what's going on in there? Is everything okay? <laughs> is someone getting stabbed? And, and just very, very concerned. But he was, was super enthusiastic about grindcore and in a way that I'd never encountered before. And I was like in in awe of. <laughs> and um, just brought me up to speed fucking immediately. That, that dude... He, he has changed my life in so many good ways time and time again and uh, he, he immediately was dubbing tapes he was dubbing autopsy albums he was dubbing fucking terrorizer and uh, you know you, you name it grindwise like Rich caught me up to speed immediately and kind of filled in these you know weird gaps because I was listening to a very weird array of stuff <laughs> kind of based on the, the zines that Vaughn would feed me you know I, I'd be like listening to Motley Crue and then like uh, you know a Mortuary Drape demo and um, you know uh, just, just, just a very strange kind of uh, array of shit and, and Rich was like no dude you need to like listen to World Downfall like this is this is what's up and, and kind of caught me up to speed really quickly and was just like this phenomenal like extraordinarily motivated person and, and was into weird stuff like, it's, it's the sort of thing where you, you guys may have experienced this work where you think you're into weird shit and you're like yeah you know I, I know all kinds of like fucking weird obscure ass bands and then someone comes along who's like no, you don't know the half of it. Yeah, and that's like, what happened. When, speak. <laughs> that's what happened when I met Will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so it, it's great too because like, it's like this immediate bond, like where you're just like, whoa, like you're amazing, like you know all this shit, and 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 I loved it, and it was just like, it's just give me more, give me more. Yeah. I always take notes when this guy's talking. I just uh, yeah, dude, yeah, I, as you should. Like I, I've heard your your other episodes. You totally should. Like it's fucking amazing. Um, Will knows everything clearly, but uh, yeah, like dude, it was oh. it was it was awesome. And I was uh, in awe of him immediately, and and um, he was like, "Yeah, dude, let's start a fucking grindcore band. Like, let's let's, let's like fucking Fido era Napalm, old Terrorizer, just like savage, like raw, you know, grind shit." All the classic. I'm, like, I'm on board immediately, you know. So that's kind of the genesis of it. So I hope that wasn't like a huge uh, spiel. No, no, this, this is what we're looking for, man, and um. <laughs> I did want to ask you though. So now it's you and uh, Rich. Um, it, it, is there a singer involved, or or uh, is or you guys just go straight to like we can't find a drummer, we need a drum machine? You know, man. At that point, it was um, I want to say it was '91 when we started kind of jamming and stuff, and we went through at least I want to say two years of just trying to to, to make things work out. But just just things not kind of not happening, and ultimately, I think our our first real singer was this dude named Tim, who was on the uh, split with Wodge, and um, yeah, it, it, there was just like this sort of weird kind of. And if you've looked at the Discogs page or, or whatever, you've probably seen that there was a bazillion people in that band. Yeah, um, yeah, I was singers. in and out at least six or seven times myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was more more due to the fact that there's just, you know, if, if you grew up in a suburb and you liked something that was sort of, you know, kind of kind of weird, uh, there's, there's a, a real... There's not a whole lot of people, you know, to 
Yeah, I suppose there's like a, a, a it's like a bond by interest proxy. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Well, you see the same thing with a lot of localized scenes. Uh, I mean, here on Long Island, the, 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 the tradition has always been like there's four or five bands and there's the same like 13 or 14 guys in and out of each band, yeah. you know, like yeah. rotating, you know, it's it's just how it goes with underground music. But um, uh, so so you guys float through a lot of singers. But uh, when when do you actually um, get get the the drum machine and and was the casualties of progress uh, release on relapse records? Was that like do you consider like that the, the first, uh, you know, proper like a, official album or? You know, I think the one that, that is sort of the, the initial one that caused any kind of reaction or provoked any kind of reaction, rather, was the split with Wadge from Canada, okay. which incidentally was the band um, that I think inspired us to even try the drum machine because we man we've been through so many fucking attempts to to use a real drummer. Um, I mean, I, I initially the, the first time I quit the band and there was. Uh, uh, is so many so many instances of that but the first time was because our drummer literally we'd be playing a 30 second grind song and he would bust out like a peter chris solo from kiss alive too and like <laughs> we'd all just be standing there like what the fuck are you doing like this is this is crazy but there was that sort of situation where like, there was you know such desperation kind of for people to like be willing to even try what we were you know, to do what we were into, where we just would tolerate dumb shit, and um, eventually got to the point where the drum machine seemed like, wow, okay, well, this seems like the most logical answer, and I, I don't know if we were even aware that Mortician was doing the drum machine around that time. I guess that was around the time Mortal Massacre came out, the 7-inch, and other than um, Mortician and Wadge and... Um, I don't even know if we were aware of Painter from Florida at that point who were using a, a, a drum machine, uh, another band I, I, I love. Um, but yeah, I mean, Rich was just like, fuck it, dude. Like, we can't, we can't yeah. do this anymore. This is insane. And so, yeah, he just busted it out. And, um, and yeah, it's, it was not an easy thing to do initially. He was, it, it's, it's really a, his tenacity and his just like drive to like fuck it let's just do this no matter what like the drum machine will have to work that's the reason it worked out like just ultimately it came down to his tenacity so none, none of us were like, we weren't like psyched about using a drum machine by any stretch it just was like man like fucking drummers around here are garbage <laughs> so you know well like, that's I, I didn't want to um, uh, just cut straight to the drum machine, not to discredit your, your um, earlier uh, releases or your earlier time where you had a drummer, but the drum machine, uh, especially for that time period, is, is a big look. And on an earlier episode, we talked a lot about drum machine bands in the 90s, and we neglected to mention Enemy Soil. So I'm glad I have this opportunity now to talk to you about it. You brought up Mortician, and you guys did end up on the same label as Mortician <laughs> with Relapse Records, so that didn't... Uh, that didn't help to, to, to prevent this kind of like connection, um, you know, th with them. Uh, was there ever like an insinuation that you guys maybe were copying them or they were copying you or something like that, or that it was like a trend or something? Matt, weirdly, not at all. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of, uh, you know, in retrospect, kind of surprised by that. There was no correlation whatsoever there. Um, no one ever said anything. There was never, when people were describing enemy soil, when relapse was describing them after casualties came out, there was no nod to mortician. And, and to be honest, 
they were not, I mean, I like Mortician a lot, don't get me wrong, but they were not a band that we would have ever looked to for like, hey, <laughs> like, let's do what Mortician are doing, you know? Yeah, no, the, um, obviously both bands are worlds apart aesthetically, lyrically, um, all that, but, you know, just just the idea that it was kind of a smaller pool of things in the sure. um, in the 90s and you were on the same label, and the idea of a drum machine band was a little, little fresher, but I, I did want to ask you... Um, I see later on, you know, you, and I, I do want to, um, I don't want to kind of like jump right out of enemy soil territory right now, but uh, your other project, Auto Eroticrist, um, did oh. sp- splits with Sadistic Linguim Cults, right? Yeah. And and that's actually a side product, project of Catasexual Urge Motivation, one of the earliest, uh, like, prominent drum machine gore grind bands in Japan. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's, um, so... Uh, Auto Christ did um, did a couple of splits. So the um, the sadistic Lingam cult split we did was with our my, my current band Reeking Cross, um, Reeking Cross sadistic Lingam cult. Oh, I got it and, wrong. Uh, I mean, you're you're close. Oh, you're close. Damn, sorry. <laughs> um, but but I mean, the, the the crux of what you're saying is 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 definitely still very you know germane which is like catasexual urge motivation you know i don't think i i don't think either rich or i became aware of them until at least three or four years and you know i don't think we became aware of them until we got a real drummer um and i interviewed tom from catasexual urge motivation i think in, in a zine i was doing in 97 and i love those guys man the, the, they're fucking fantastic they, they were one of the first bands i think and you know, this is going back to the extreme scene stuff that you guys were talking about with Adam Rotella. Yes. Um, the, the, one of the first seven inches I ever bought that genuinely unnerved me, where I was like, man, I'm going to listen to this. I'm, I'm going to take a shower afterwards because this is fucking filthy and wrong and gross, was the Sloth um, Catasexual Urge Motivation 7 inch, split 7 inch rather. And uh, where just to, like two drum machine grind bands, but both had their own distinct identity. They were doing their own thing, um, you know, albeit with the same tools, and and just it, it just exuded filth in a way that I'd never encountered before in a piece of seven-inch vinyl. You know, it, it was it was phenomenal and kind of mind-bending at the time because I, I just felt like this was a wrong, weird thing to own, and and <laughs> yeah. that's from someone who owned a. a, a fair amount of weird shit at the time already um but yeah you know it's funny um so we ended up doing the the uh, reeking cross the distic lingam cult um sediment notch uh split um pretty recently and when i reached out to tom from catasexual and, and, and sadistic lingam cult to to talk about it you know it's so weird now because he's like you know he's a dude in his 40s like myself and he just had his first kid and i'm like Man, I'm talking about like buying diapers and baby toys with a dude from Catasexual Org Motivation. This is really fucked up and weird, and I yeah. feel very strange yeah. about it. Yes. He was probably buying diapers and stuff back then, but it was weird. <laughs> uh, well, I, I didn't mean to derail the conversation. I do want to get into your uh, newer projects, and this is actually the first time on the show on recording that one of my notes has gone sour, and, and I didn't. One, one of my notes was wrong, so you well, did. Well, what did we say, Justin? But, um, you fucked up. Yeah, you fucked up. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but but uh, but just getting back to to that era of enemy soil um you guys record the casualties of progress uh uh, uh, uh is that an album or an ep i don't want to get it wrong 
It's just a seven inch. Yeah, it's just a few songs. Just, um, a, just a seven inch. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I said that. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, so, I'm all over the place tonight. All right, getting back. Getting back. You guys record Casualties of Progress seven inch for Relapse Records. Uh, it's recorded by Pete Evick, um, who is actually a guitarist for a Poison member and was like a hair metal guy. Dude, yeah. Um, so that was really funny. We recorded a couple things with Pete. Um, we recorded a comp track, for, I think two comp tracks, for two different slap of ham comps, one of which never came out, and um, uh, at least a couple seven inches with Pete. But yeah, dude, um, he was he was kind of a trip. He was... Um, and honestly, the, being the guitarist for Brett Michaels is kind of the least of it. He was completely <laughs> convinced that he was being abducted by aliens on, a, on like a weekly slash monthly basis. And we'd be trying to like record bass tracks and he just would like start going into explicit detail on what um, the aliens were doing. And it was just like some Alex Jones shit. Well, we can't uh, disprove that. We can't disprove it. What were they doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty fascinating. He was a really good guy, and, um, you know, he was very amused by what we were doing. He didn't quite understand it, but he didn't take the, the sort of shitty, like, um, he, he wasn't a dick about it, you know, which, yeah, I, which yeah. was to his credit, because he was getting plenty of bands in that era, you know, of, like, shitty, like, proto-grunge or hair metal bands, like, coming in his studio. It was a nice studio. And, and doing stuff and like suddenly we showed up with our drum machine and like we're gonna record some grindcore he's like what the fuck is grindcore and uh, he was game you know he was he was a good dude mm-hmm. um but yeah it was it was really funny like just kind of the uh the sudden non sequiturs he throw into like you know conversations about being abducted and 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 weird shit and uh yeah and now I guess he's playing guitar for for Brett Michaels and um he was on that Rock of Love reality show okay. for a while, which I definitely didn't watch every episode of. Well, uh, it's a twice. different type of abduction. Uh, <laughs> I mean, at least these alien abductions didn't hold him back in life. That's really refreshing to hey, hear that. Dude, I mean, he's he was a good guy. And, um, yeah, what, if you go... Yeah, never mind. I'm not going to... No, I, go, go. Go with it. <laughs> so I looked him up uh, a couple of years ago, and he had written like a self-help book, and which you know, he should, because if you go from living in your mom's basement being abducted by aliens and suddenly you're the cars from poison, poison, like I want to read your self-help book. That's that's some fucking... It's a success uh, story, right? There. It, it yeah. is. It is. <laughs> that's but he's also like selling like hair metal band themed candles, like scented candles and shit. And it's if you ever go on his website, if you just want to be entertained for a couple minutes... Like, go to go to his website, but um, he's an that aside, I mean, he was Michigan a good dude, and he didn't know what the hell we were trying to do, but he was game to give it a shot, and um, and yeah, um, he was he, he was a good guy. I that sounds awesome. Yes, yeah, he sounds nice. like a very interesting person, man. He, he is, he is. And um, yeah. so so, how do you guys get hooked up with Relapse Records uh, at that point? You know, I, I wish I had asked Rich to refresh my memory, but I'm pretty sure that King Fowley from Deceased, who actually played on a on one of the later Enemy Soul Seven Inches when the drummer didn't bother to show up, um, King Fowley from Deceased, I'm pretty sure had a pivotal role in making that happen. Mm. Um, and, and that's not to say that Rich hadn't already been in contact. He was kind of I was a little antisocial, shy, like. Uh, you know, ridden with social anxiety. I was not doing anything. Rich was was doing all of the legwork, sending stuff out every day. 
uh, uh, you know, everywhere. And so he was already in touch with, I think, I'm going to say with Pellethead from, uh, from Relapse and maybe already Matt as well. Um, but I want to say that, that King, who was, you know, deceased, obviously, or local, I, I saw them so many times uh, just, just hanging out with Rich and, and going to And he, I think, was sort of an advocate for us because we were... I think more or less the only grindcore band in the area, and certainly the only kind of political grindcore band around here. Um, so yeah, I, I think that sort of the genesis of us hooking up with, with, with Relapse was first of all Rich sending them tapes and stuff and and, and general correspondence, but also I think King was involved if, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure Rich will correct me. After this is posted, if I am. <laughs> well, we'd we'd love to eventually get Rich and get his spin on things. Oh yeah, we should. His, he's an awesome dude. You know, his projects and, and all that sort of thing, man. I've I've met him once or twice over the years, man. Nice guy. But um, but Super. just 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 yeah, getting getting back to uh to that casualties of progress. Um, did you guys play live with the drum machine at the in that in that era? I think we did. Yeah, I mean it was it was literally in in uh, Pete's mom's basement. And she would every no, 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes shout down, kick you fucking loud. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, are we going to get you kicked out of your house? Um, so we, we'd re- we really put, you know, we recorded that shit fast as we possibly could. And I think we ended up at a Denny's or, or whatever, you know, afterwards. But um, yeah, it, it was it was a pretty hastily recorded seven inch. And, and I, you know, I can't remember if we knew we were recording it for relapse at the time I, I guess we probably did but um it was a blast man it was like me and rich and vaughn and like vaughn and rich were roommates they were my two best friends it was just like it's like one of those situations where you cannot ask for a better band situation where you're just like with two people that you fucking love hanging out with and being around who make you crack up all the time and you're in a stupid band together who actually people seem to like and you know, it's just like one of those rare situations that happens where what you want to do happens to align with people, what certain people want to hear and not by any, you know, design, just by sheer stupid luck. And Relapse seemed into it. And so we lucked out. And again, I don't know how much to attribute to King asking them or, or what, but um, it, it was an awesome time and, and just like a really fun night recording that stuff. Wow, well, that's it, it's it's not surprising, I guess, when I, I think of the the time and the region. But I never realized there would be a King Fowley connection, man. He pops up a lot, man. King Fowley, uh, real nice it's guy. I've, I've met him once or twice too. He's a maniac, and and yeah, he will talk your ear off. But that dude is a legend, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so now you put you relapse puts the seven inch out. I mean, does that? Obviously, relapse at that point was was still a credible label, but they weren't the relapse that we know today. Does that does that like bump up your profile a lot, or it does? It does. It, it does considerably. And and as you just said, credible label at the time, that's that's pretty key. Um, they were releasing some pretty fucking dope shit at the time. Yeah. And it was a uh, it was a huge deal at the time to be released by relapse, and they had some great bands and it was still at the point where bill and matt were both involved or william matt whatever um were both involved and picking bands by hand that they actually liked and it it was great it was great it was um you know being on a label even you know in some kind of i don't think i don't know if any contracts are signed i mean i got 
you know, paid in quotation marks with, you know, I think 10 copies of the record, which I'm completely, I was thrilled about then and I'm thrilled about now. That was amazing. And um, just to be on a label with like Incantation and, you know, that era of Exit 13 and um, Goraphobia. I mean, it's fucking sick ass bands, you know, that helped define what kind of came afterwards. Um, and again, we were sort of a weird addition to that, being a pretty overtly political grindcore band, um, which wasn't something you saw a whole lot of in the U.S. period, much less one that used a fucking drum machine. <laughs> um, so it was kind of a gamble for them to even bother with us. And um, the fact it got the attention it did at the time, um, again, I, I wholly attribute that to we're just tenacity and just saying, you know, we got to give up on human drummers. We just got to fucking buy a drum machine and do this shit. So, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it was great, though. That golden era lineup that you're talking about that you were included in was uh, magic. I, I know exactly what you're talking It was magic, about. and it was an utter privilege, and I think a uh, almost a, a complete stroke of luck to have been included in that because there were so many interesting idiosyncratic bands who were forging their own path and not following uh, some sort of grindcore blueprints that had been set out and you know set in stone already they were doing their own thing and, uh, amorphous uh, uh, pops into my head who, what's that? Uh, amorphous uh, who i'm a big oh, fan of their absolutely their first absolutely. ep and first album i didn't really follow them so much on the more melodic folk metal route but you know i respect it Totally with you. Privilege of Evil is a fucking phenomenal yeah. record. Yeah, so I mean, so, so get, getting back to um, that era, did you guys play shows with a drum machine hooked up for the show ever? <laughs> so this was sort of this was sort of one of the points of contention that happened where that, that began the uh, cycle of me going in and out of the bands because uh, Rich was as he, he kind of has always been um, to his credit, just a extraordinarily motivated person to play shows. When it comes to any sort of show offer, uh, he was extraordinarily excited and just like super gung ho. And I, I, dude, I'm telling you, man, like you could get a phone call, you know, from him, and, and dread would set in immediately in my stomach because I, he'd be like, dude, we got offered to play a show. And I'm like, Okay, what's the show? And he's like, "Well, we're gonna play like a fucking Arby's dumpster in Saskatchewan. <laughs> They're gonna give us gas money, like that kind of shit." Like where I was like automatically checked out, and he was super gung ho about it. Which like again, he was just so enthusiastic about it and driven that you know maybe slightly indiscriminate when it came to the details of it but yeah um, discrimination helps you know it does it, you know, i'm with you dude i'm with you 100% and at the time we we were just on polar opposites of that we got along so well we were like fucking best friends and 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 it was great but when it came down to like work ethic i was a lazy motherfucker and i'd much rather eat a burrito and take a nap than drive to fucking canada to play like a show in a haunted porta potty, you know, like that's just <laughs> my bottom line. And he was all about that, man. Like he just was like not too worried about the details. He's just like, let's fucking do it. Like it's, you know, it's a fucking show. Let's do that shit. Yeah, I mean, and, between um, the two of you guys, I feel like there's got to be a middle ground. 
Exactly. Exactly. Me and him yeah. should never be in a band together because we'll be playing. <laughs> we'll, we'll be playing every show. I'm that guy too, man. I'm like, yo, we got offered a show with a couple of emo bands in the closet of the bowling alley. Seriously, <laughs> like, you like that too, Will? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, man. The I mean, nowadays I've learned my lesson a little bit, but in the early years of Artificial Brain, I was killing these guys, man. Every every show offer that came along, I'd be like, let's get out there, come on, you know, fucking drive to oh Pittsburgh God. overnight, we could still make it and open up for fucking saves the day. I saw the thing on, on you know, like, come on, like, we got we got this, guys. Like I was trying to do everything. I was I was you know because I was I was very enthusiastic. I just wanted to put it out there for people. And my philosophy was like, we could play with any bands, any audience, because if they don't like it, fuck them. We're death metal and we're repping death metal and blah blah blah. But yeah, man. But I. I I get the vibe. All right, so playing shows uh, was a bit of a, a contentious point. You you didn't always want to get get out there and, and go on the road and um and and do, do some of those uh, far off shows. But um, did you when you guys did play live was was there ever times where you were, were where you experimented with the drum machine hooking it up through the PA or, or what have you and stuff and it didn't it didn't go right or maybe it did sound good or you know I was so adamantly um, and vocally against playing with the drum machine live i i bailed before any of those shows ever happened so you weren't even there i wasn't even okay. there uh no i, I i've heard <laughs> you know from from vaughn and rich you know two of my oldest friends uh, multiple stories of how ill-advised those shows were and um i think i think one of the big ones was a death metal fest i don't know if it was montreal or quebec that they played in 92 or 93 and and rich and i had this huge blowout before they they drove up there um and i i quit and they, they went up there and played the show and it just didn't didn't go especially well with the drum machine i think they had put it through the pa but still because of the way uh, it, unless the speakers are, are facing a certain way you're only hearing the drums like a very uh it, the, the impact is certainly not the same as say when you see a gore photo nosebleed live in 2018 of course well, what you, you know what i mean like it's, it's just a very different kind of primitive uh primitive thing uh, more akin to say what pain eater from florida were doing in the early 90s where it was just you know Kind of, kind of cool and kind of interesting, but sonically not super impressive. And neither Rich nor Vaughn were were super happy with with having done that. And I don't regret not having been there for it. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair enough. And uh, so, is it 1996 that you guys actually get uh, a regular drummer? Uh, you know, I, I forgive me. I was in and out so so often okay. that. 1996, I went to Canada with a real drummer with Enemy Soil, and we played, I think, four or five shows there. Uh, it was shortly after, if I'm not mistaken, after Ruins of Eden came out, 10 Inch, we did. They got re released um, as a CD uh, in the US. So we did a few shows up uh, up there, and the I'm most sorry, the memorable one that was with the real drummer. Okay. The most. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Is that Runes of Eden? That's right. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So we we went ahead and uh, we we went back up to Canada 
for uh, you know shortly after that was released and we did a few shows and the most memorable one being at Cafe So in uh, Montreal playing with Global Holocaust which was a fucking awesome uh, Canadian kind of crust grind band and uh, they oversold the show so they weren't able to let people in <laughs> and it turned into a legitimate riot with cops and riot gear coming up and people flipping cop cars and literally we were in the middle of a song and I'm not even exaggerating we were in the middle of a song when the promoter ran up with a cash box just handed it to Rich and said get the fuck out and we're like what the fuck are you talking we're in the middle of a song and um, so we we grab our stuff and we're just sort of like what's going on here and then outside of the window from Cafe So up this avenue you saw cops in legit riot gear like the shields and everything <laughs> coming up and so we just were like okay I guess we, we better leave now so we, we, we ran out and immediately we're just we're just seeing like cops versus punks and just some sort it's cartoonish like a cop car is flipped over there's a punk rock dude running off with a, the the uh, the door of a cop car attached to his handcuffs like he's running away with this the door attached to him it's it's utterly insane and we're like oh my god we have to get the fuck out of here uh, so we get to Rich's car, and I, I'm driving, which is not where you want to be. When you're a little bit drunk, and you've just been interrupted during the show by someone telling you to get the fuck out of there. So I, I'm freaking out a little bit, driving around Canada. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And uh, everyone in the car is screaming, like, turn left, turn right, get the fuck away. And like, there's just like, there's uh, barricades the cops have already set up. Uh, on these streets and we're just trying to get you know get out and at some point I just distinctly remember yelling shut the fuck up I'm trying to get the fuck out of here and taking turn after turn after turn until I don't know where we are but there's no cops around and finally we end up somehow uh, I don't I don't even know how this this happened at the house of someone uh, you know, a, a punk house, and we're sitting there, and we're just we're smoking cigarettes, and just like, what the fuck was that? That was insane. <laughs> and I swear to I, this, this was this image is forever just seared into my brain. We're, we're all sitting there, you know, smoking cigarettes, you know, hanging out on this on this staircase, and this fucking punk rock dude comes up the sidewalk, and we're like, what is he? What is that guy doing? And he is handcuffed to the door of a cop car and just wandering up the street, pulling this cop car door behind him uh, in, in on this Montreal sidewalk. And just those dudes, those dudes were so fucking hardcore and insane. It was utterly absurd. And it, yeah, it, it was unforgettable. That's insane. Um, yeah, that's the wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's as, as a little suburban <laughs> shithead kid um, that that I was, that was next level for sure. That that was that was a, a very 
new experience. Wow. So, so how did the rest of the tour go? <laughs> it, it was underwhelming by comparison, as, as you probably <laughs> probably expect. You know, it, it was fun. Um, it, we played with um, we played with some good bands, and uh, it, it was pretty low key. I, I don't really remember anything. Yeah, I, actually, after that show, it was pretty pretty much kind of downhill from there in terms of you know memorable events that, that was pretty huge but uh um yeah it was it was a great time and just you know you know how it is like whenever you tour with your buddies and you're just like hanging out and talking shit and making each other laugh um it's always a great time and the shows are almost an ancillary concern you just like it's an excuse to hang out with people you you care about and you like and you know they make you laugh and that's kind of the bottom line a lot of the stuff and it, it's great if you're doing stuff that other people enjoy and we were lucky enough to do that but a lot of it was just like getting to hang out with your with your bros yeah and, and on, on that note I wanted to ask you I, I imagined I didn't imagine that story that you just told but I did imagine that maybe because of the nature of the band you might have played more um, kind of like like punk uh, places DIY places and stuff like that than your conventional rock clubs uh, you know, I didn't picture you guys being the band that would be selling the tickets to open up for any big band that came through and that sort of deal. Yeah. But yeah. did you ever happen to play like a more conventional rock club opening up for the, the bigger artists? You know, honestly, well, like, I, I don't think that happened until MDF last year. I, okay. We never, uh, at least not during my tenure in the band, we, we never played any sort of big show. I mean, again, I, I think, um, yeah, you know, I don't think we ever did until... It, it kind of went from okay, look, the band's over. We played some shows, and that was cool, like locally and and whatever. Nothing huge to like. Hey, like you're headlining MDF on a Sunday night, you know? Like that's <laughs> that's kind of the trajectory. It was very weird. Yeah, and, it's an and I don't, leap, you, you know, from the, these punk rock style shows. Yeah, man. Like, literally playing in someone's kitchen in Atlanta in fucking August, which I do not recommend. Uh, (laughs) That kind of shit. Like, it's... It was it was a weird trajectory for sure. Well, maybe maybe this would be a good time to get into something I wanted to talk about. Power violence. Um, Because that's a genre that I... I, Maybe it's just my experience. I tended to lump you guys in with power violence, even though you're maybe more of a grindcore band. Um... And I, I liken you guys a little bit to Excruciating Terror, if that's fair, because they were more of a brutal grindcore band that was associated with that slap of ham Records power violence scene. Uh, is that fair to say? I mean, I love Excruciating Terror, but I will be the first to admit, I don't know, and I've never really quite understood what power violence is. Okay, that's, that's a great jumping off point, because... Um, it, the the slap of ham Records, Spaz, Man is the Bastard, that, that whole thing, um, it, it was... You know, you were there for it, man. You you, you probably experienced it uh, in in greater depth than than, than I did. What, what would you call those sort of bands and that sort of thing? I, I I'm reluctant to even chime in on that because I am so uh, reluctant to. I I think kind of this this impulse and this sort of reflexive urge to categorize stuff and these very kind of set like okay this is that this is that you know this kind of genre kind of um 
defaults is a failing and I think it, it kind of prevents bands from doing interesting odd idiosyncratic things and I really have a hard time with that shit I, I don't want people to you know I was talking to a buddy about this the other day about noise stuff like which we, we do with Autoerotic Christ where there's this kind of again not to repeat myself but this sort of reflective tendency to you know put people in these very limited parameters of what they're supposed to be doing genre wise um, and and power violence is kind of one of those things for me I guess it sort of starts with Man is the Bastard and I get that and that's an amazing band like total respect but I, I don't see um any sort of trajectory where we are related to that at all, like in me soil, is okay. Um, it, well, if I could, if I could um, explain what I meant a little bit, uh, I, I think I'm associating it more with just a time and a, and a movement in the scene where I liken it a lot to how uh, what's referred to as new wave in the late '70s, early '80s was maybe a reaction to punk rock becoming a little bit homogenized. Uh, I, I, what, what the sensation people call power violence. I, I, I just that's uh, bands maybe getting away from the traditional sense of grindcore and hardcore and making something different. So, yeah, I, not to put a label on it and not to label Enemy Soil or what you guys were, but just the way that I found out about the band and a lot of the releases and the bands that you guys were um, on compilations and doing splits with uh, are 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 referred to maybe in the power violence scene and I think that nowadays there's a resurgence of uh, appreciation for those bands by younger people who maybe are trapped a little bit by like the parameters of what they perceive as, as power violence as a genre and what it should or shouldn't sound like and be like. I think maybe that's a problem nowadays with like uh, the, the more second or third or whatever generation of bands that are influenced by that movement. But yeah, I'm, I'm talking more about the movement of bands in the 90s that was getting away from conventionality, really. So. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally, I totally get that. I guess, I guess, I, my, my reaction to that is more. At the time, power violence became kind of a weird um, tag to use, and one that was attributed to us that I, that I don't think any of us really understood. It was just sort of one of those, one of those words, like one of those kind of random like genre tags that like, oh, this is power violence, and I don't know if Rich or I or or JR or or any of us were really like um, related to that. It was just it was just kind of an empty. I don't know. Right. No. no I mean, it makes sense if you're just removed from other people's labeling. You did. Yeah. We were kind of like in suburban Virginia, honestly. Like, man, it was like power violence. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, that's cool. I mean, we're not. We weren't like you know railing against it or whatever. It was just like it wasn't something that we like immediately identified with or in any way like. It was like okay, we've heard "Man is a Bastard." Isn't that the genesis of power? I keep you overusing that word, but isn't that sort of like you know they sort of started power violence, right? Like, in what what do we have to do with that? I don't hear much in terms of uh, in terms of stuff we relate to. We were really trying to copy. From enslavement era napalm and old terrorizer, we just happened to be doing it with a drum machine and super ignorant riffs. And if that made us <laughs> parallel, that's cool. 
Um, you know, that's, that's awesome. Like, it, it, there's plenty of bands I've, I've heard described as power violence that I fucking adore. So I'm not, like, in any way trying to, uh, you know, uh, shit on that, that, that label or that description. It just, I, I don't think any of us identified with it. Right. I, I know Rich or I certainly didn't. You never felt way. like you were waving that flag. Not at all. Yeah, other not people would, would tag you with it. We were just trying to play grindcore, just like yeah. ignorant ass grindcore. That's it. Well, again, not not trying to box the band in, and I, I think my definition of, of what people call power violence is a little bit more about um more of a, a movement in music and and not not so much labeling a band by sound. But I, I totally understand um what you're saying and where you're coming from with that. And you guys had uh, a, a, a I mean obviously at first you said you know there wasn't a lot of um, interest in that type of music. You had difficulty getting the band together but aren't there later over time there's other bands um that that you guys end up uh performing with and, and doing releases with from your area right like suppression oh man mistaken. suppression who are her, i just have to interject and forgive me but suppression who after i don't know if it's 25 or 30 years later are releasing the best stuff the most disgusting, vile, filthy, amazing shit they've ever released somehow 25 or 30 years later, um, which is just admirable and phenomenal. And and Jason Hodges is a fucking base god. And that dude is just, just an amazing person. And um, yeah, man, it, you're, you nailed it. it. It's it's one of those things where things are so regional, you know, and, and power violence is kind of a, I, I think that was kind of, forgive me if I'm if I'm being reductive, but kind of an MRR creation, like a maximum rock and roll kind of thing that they, they came up with and and started labeling bands with. And, and I don't know how we ended up with it. And I think to some extent, it, it probably helped us that that they, they kind of pulled us under that umbrella of power violence. But in reality, we're in suburban Virginia trying to imitate our favorite terrorizer or napalm shit and as you said like there's other bands here locally that at the time suppression being first and foremost the one that, that comes to mind later on page 99 i mean I, there was so much there's so much you know for lack of a better word incest in the northern virginia grind hardcore scene like i mean uh you'd have guys from page 99 and enemy soil and um geez uh city of caterpillar uh bands you know the the kind of helping each other out um i might be wrong but were capitalist casualties or hell nation from your area you know, Hell Nation, it's funny you mention them because Doug, who was a bass player from Hell Nation and bass player and vocalist from Hell Nation from Kentucky, is the vocalist in my current band, Reeking Cross. Yeah, that, that's where I got the, the correlation from. Okay. Yeah, man. Um, and just a fucking phenomenal band and one that um, I and I think we, we certainly admired. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the Northern Virginia scene is pretty pretty weird and again I think any, other than Enemy Soil Page 99 and again you know JR went on to Pig Destroyer Scott came down here from Boston and did you know Gorephobic and they continued obviously to get bigger and bigger um, but it's, it's kind of a, a weird a weird scene because there's there's so much disparity between the bands like things are 
Yeah, but there's not any sort of unified sound or vibe like you might associate with, like, say, for instance, um, the Discord scene in, in D.C., you know, like where which which is something I, I certainly grew up with. You'd hear Shudder to Think and Fugazi and, uh, you know, this this array of, of, of bands on, on Discord where you're like, oh, there's sort of like this unifying aesthetic or vibe. Mm-hmm. And, and North Virginia grind or punk or hardcore kind of lacks that. There, there's just... We have this very disparate um, variety of influences, but everyone's homies. Like everyone fucking loves each other and supports each other. Fucking Mike Taylor from Page Thirty Nine, love that dude, and you know he, he has been endlessly supportive of, of Enemy Soil. And you know Jeff Kane from City of Caterpillar, like a former roommate. You know JR from Pig Destroyer. Again, like it's it's very incestuous. Like we're we're basically a family. Mm-hmm. It's just it, the bands have their own kind of distinctive vibe and direction, and um, I, I'm I'm very happy and proud that Enemy Soil was in some way um, a catalyst for a lot of that. Yeah, I, and that's the, um, you you bring me like perfectly to uh, the next point I wanted to make. You mentioned J.R. Hayes. He uh, joins Enemy Soil around the same time you guys start playing live with a drummer. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. Yeah. Okay, and and so, uh, just just that 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 same era too, isn't that when Scott Hole uh, starts working with the band? So, yeah, basically more or less. Yeah. Um, so what happened? Ninety six, right? I'm sorry. Around nineteen ninety six. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah. Um, so what happened is. JR was a really good friend of my little brother, Ronnie. And they used to actually hang out in my brother's room. And they would, when I would leave, they'd come and steal my thrash tapes and dub them and listen to them. And, uh, and you know, I'd come home and be like, where the fuck are my fucking, you know, rigor mortis tapes or whatever. And, like, they'd have them and be, like, you know, just geeking out on them. And, like, and just, like, cool little kids, like, listening to metal and shit. But JR, when he first, like, when Rich was like, you know, we should try him out. I was like, no, man. He's a fucking dork. Like, <laughs> we can't do that shit. Like, he's got a corn sticker on his truck and a Deftone sticker. We no, that's not no. And Rich was like, no, man, you're being a dick. Let's 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 give it a shot. And uh, and Jared was just like a fucking sweetheart. Like he was like a, a kid, and had a different point of reference for grind and punk and hardcore because he's a few years younger, you know, mm-hmm. and. I, there are a few few instances in my life where I've seen someone come up to speed the way that I saw JR from the time he first joined us and the lyrics he first wrote to the shit you see today on Big Destroy Records. It, 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 you would you would not believe me if I showed you the the lyrics he first wrote for Emily Spoil compared to what he wrote for uh, any of the subsequent Pick Destroyer stuff, which is just you know, amazing, obviously, but you wouldn't believe me. Um, it, it, it's 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 a different person, <laughs> and and the fact that I was involved with something that allowed him, or, or allowed is a pretentious word, that was even part of him, like uh, becoming who he is now, and becoming that sort of writer, and having that sort of level of confidence um, is. Uh, it's so amazing because that dude 
is just such a talented um, and kind and sweethearted, genuinely good dude. Um, you know, and and as much as as much shit as I may talk about relapse as a label, Jr. Man, like that dude is just a fucking phenomenal writer and a talented guy, and um, I, I'm privileged to have been friends with him, have been any part of watching that develop, and having been in a band with him for sure. Um, he he's just a great great person. And, and I'm sure it was great for you to reunite with him uh, and for for maybe people who weren't even aware of Enemy Soil who were like, you know, later season uh, Pig Destroyer fans to become aware of that, you know, that legacy with Enemy Soil and all that, you know, last year when you guys did the um, the reunion. And before we get into that, I also wanted to ask a little bit about Scott Hull and Agoraphobic Nosebleed and, and um, the connection with Scott Hull there. Because uh, I know he, he, he recorded uh, some Enemy Soil material, right, for the split 7-inch with Agoraphobic Nosebleed? Yeah, so we we went up to Boston. I think I think it was '96 to record the splits with the reversal of man and agoraphobic. Um, Scott recorded us. It was me, Rich, and Brian at the time, and uh, I think Jr. was doing yeah, Jr. Rich, me, and Brian at the time, and uh, so we did those two splits. Um, one for Bovine. I can't remember which which label put out the reversal of band split, but that was a fucking great time. Scott was um, Scott was still living in the, kind of the Boston area. He had just put out the first seven inch, I think, or maybe it was even a demo before Bovine picked it up for agoraphobic. But he was like a physics teacher or like a substitute teacher for physics. People don't understand exactly how brilliant that guy is. It's unnerving how smart Scott Hall is. Um, and he was just such a kind, hilarious fucking dude. And um, we, yeah, we hung out with him. He recorded both splits in like a shitty little warehouse. Uh, we recorded it all live. It was, it was a blast. And, um, and then not too long after he was like he emailed me and was like dude i'm thinking about coming down to virginia like i don't have any homies here like this is the vibe up here is weird like i i'm gonna come down and hang out and let's do a band and so we ended up starting the band called treblinka it was me and jr and scott and jeff kane who um was later at page 99 in city of caterpillar and uh that was kind of one of the catalysts for um Scott moving down from Boston to, to Virginia, and it, it was it was a really fun time. And um, we played one one show with Asuk and ended up calling it a day. But um, uh, that that gave birth to Agoraphobic and or pardon me, not Agoraphobic, but Pig Destroyer rather. And um, yeah, it, it was an awesome time, man. It was it was really cool, and and it was yeah, it was a special time. And it must be amazing seeing the legacy that both of those bands have grown to uh, to, to, to leave and to become, um, you know, to, to watch your friends uh, develop, you know, that, that's, that's pretty special. And it, it, it really is. For your local it really scene. is. It, it was, um, you know, just just knowing that, that Scott started out as this dude who was like, you know, he'd hear some shitty drum machine grindcore band, like, you know, and frankly at the time and he was so kind of qualified uh, and he'd be like you know I can do that 
and and that kind of inspired him to start doing some agoraphobic stuff and and just just the chasm between that guy and and what happened you know who he is now and what happens now is is pretty phenomenal and just total absolute respect for for that guy i i am far removed from you know what relapse promotes as grindcore these days but that aside whenever you see people you care about doing stuff that they're excited about and happy about um succeeding you know that that fucking warms you that that makes you happy yeah however you might not relate aesthetically it that's bullshit ultimately people you care about succeeding you know that that stuff matters yeah and and that's yeah it resonates man yeah people are are, yeah people people are people man you know sometimes no accounting for taste um but but uh, moving forward uh does enemy soil break up in 1997 no it actually doesn't um so this is not something that's ever really talked about and i i guess understandably because it was pretty short-lived but um i was living in portland with my then girlfriend alicia um who was was from rapid city south dakota and uh we we moved back to dc together and rich called me i was like dude you're back let's fucking do enemy soil and alicia was doing vocals and i was playing i think guitar at that point i think jeff kane from a city couch color and page 99 was doing bass and adam um from you know any soil and pcp roadblock was doing drums and uh we we started practicing and that was kind of the final lineup of any soil and i i think at some point for whatever reason adam called it a day and um we turned into a band called uh the index which other than being a horribly horribly um uh awful choice of band name was um was rich and i and jake from triac and multi-cult and reeking cross and backslider just a fucking phenomenal monster drummer um, that was the first time we all played together and with uh, Mark from Hate Beak. Um, and, uh, I just love Hate Beak so much. It, it's fun. That, that band was brought up in conversation before we were on, even on the, on the phone with you tonight, not knowing. Is that you, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- those are two of my buddies, like Blake from Pig Destroyer and Mark. Uh, and, and those guys were just hilarious, as hilarious <laughs> and, and ridiculous as, as you'd expect. Um, but Blake, of course, is a big destroyer, and um, but yeah, it, it was it was it was. Uh, sorry, I think I think I completely have the, diverted from the question. Well, no, I the, the, and I would just challenge our listeners if they're interested to find the index um, because I, in research for this interview, that that was very elusive to find online anywhere. Um, but I'm I'm very interested to hear it. And maybe this would be a good point to talk about some of your other side projects. I we, I mentioned Auto Erotic Christ before, and I got something wrong. So maybe you want to set us straight on when you actually started Auto Erotic Christ. So that was in the early '90s, and I, you know, I can't remember exactly what the what the uh, what prompted me to do that. But I was living with Jr. at the time, and. Um, I, I guess it was just one 
I was listening to a lot of weird ass, you know, industrial noise stuff. Um, Richard Ramirez, Black Leather Jesus, and uh, Macronympha, and Cocky SP, and it felt some sort of kinship with that stuff because at that point, grind just seems, I don't know, mean any sort, any sort of band, any sort of democracy just seemed kind of shitty. And so I started doing records and, um, and released a few records. I, I had the good fortune of doing splits with Richard Ramirez, who is a fucking legendary, amazing uh, Texas noise artist, incapacitants from Japan, Japanese torture comedy hour, which was Scott Hull's um, noise project at the time. And, uh, you know, did those things and it felt great and it was awesome. And then it just sort of went dormant for years until um, last year when we got a invite from uh, Dominic from Purient, um, which is a pretty renowned noise project from New York City to come and play the Hospital Fest in, in New York in December. I was shocked that anyone remember, remembered that project, much less wanted us to, you know, wanted us to show up and, and play. Um, so, um, Angela, who is kind of the uh, you know, guiding force of that project and I showed up and did a set and it, it just was utterly surreal because you know you have Mersbow and both of the Godflesh guys walking around Black of their Jesus and it just it was like wow like this is something that you know kind of did in my bedroom in 1993 out of frustration how did it turn into you know this, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah. So Autoride Christ was kind of just sort of born of frustration and just like being sick of band stuff and democracies and you know hearing really incendiary, fucked up um, industrial noise and being inspired by that. And yeah, that was kind of kind of where that came from. I hope I, I answered your question. No, absolutely. I just want to touch on some of your other projects um, quickly, uh, and and that's that's definitely one of them. And um, <clears throat> I, I feel like we'd be doing grindcore fans and fans of all this kind of drum machine grindcore that we've been talking about a disservice if we didn't bring up Blower. Uh, in t- oh yeah. In two thousand three, the Blower uh, split CD with Wodge was released on. Sorry, listeners, regurgitated Seaman <laughs> Records. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that uh, that and uh, Scott Hull actually recorded that blower uh, record session in his apartment. We did it in his apartment. Um, it was, I think, we just finished watching a, a John Waters movie, and we were all yeah, just fucking just hanging out. It was it was a great time, and uh, at some point, I was doing vocals, and one of his neighbors came by to complain, <laughs> and so he flipped up his couch. And made like kind of a super ghetto vocal booth where I had to bury my face into the couch to do the vocals, which is why they sound fucked up. And I don't know what I'm saying. I mean, I spent a decent amount of time writing lyrics for that fucking thing. I don't know what I'm saying on any of it. It's all garbled bullshit because I'm in the dark with a blanket over my fucking face screaming into a couch uh, because his asshole neighbor complained. Um, But it was a blast, man. It was such a great time. And yeah, it was Rich and and JR and Scott and I and just just hanging out basically and 
and making the ignorant ass grind. It was it was it was a good time. Yeah, and I um I have to just quickly shout out Tyler Hammer from the Metal Fuck Web yeah. Scene. Yeah, dude. Because uh, I know I, I sure realized. Yeah, I did read that interview that you did with uh, with him um for the Metal Web Zine uh, in preparation for for this interview and research, and I had to bring that up. That's I'm glad you told that story because I was going to awesome, ask you man. about it. And his uh, band Hallucination Realize fucking rule as well. They're yeah. a great band. Yeah, so sh- shout to him, man, and um. Uh, yeah, he he got back to us a little bit on on uh, some of the social media, man. So so you know, good guy, and we appreciate the support, man. I just had to shout him out. I couldn't just steal the story or steal the question, rather. Um, but yeah, Blower, great band. And then uh, the same year, if I'm not mistaken, you were part of another regurgitated Semen Records release, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, right? Yeah. So that was that was a weird one. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear it? I did. I did listen no. to that, and I would encourage all of our listeners to look up uh, your your old project Jesus of Nazareth that is some wild shit yeah it's it's weird um and and so basically what happened is I did a seven inch I think I think it was for regurgitated semen uh a a shit on command watch seven inch where um I I I was doing shit on command and regurgitated semen for whatever reason asked for more of that and at the time I, I can't remember the specifics I was like I, I don't I don't know if I can do more so Jake um, and Ricky Cross uh, he's a drummer for Ricky Cross and Triac and Multicult and Backslider again I, as I mentioned earlier just an utterly phenomenal um, grind drummer uh, he was like well, you know, I've been working on this stuff you know called Jesus of Nazareth like how do we just do that and so we ended up kind of uh <laughs> Turning the shit on command full CD into into the Jesus of Nazareth CD, um, but that was really driven by Jake. I mean, he he's just a fascinating dude. And he, at the time, um, I, I think I, sorry if I, I please forgive me if I derail this, but as I mentioned earlier, the index stuff that happened pretty much right on the heels of of Enemy Soil breaking up, um, Rich found Jake. Uh, to play drums, who at the time I think was 14 or 15 years old, it, it, he was he was a kid for sure, and um, somehow talked Jake into playing drums for us, and he was already a, you know a really good drummer, showing lots of promise, and had you know all kinds of amazing ideas, you know far beyond his years and uh jesus of nazareth was was more or less his his project and i just kind of contributed here or there um so i i i don't want to take any credit away from from jake for that yeah utterly insane schizophrenic uh, shit. Yeah, I mean the the words like schizophrenic or hallucinogenic or something might be used or to describe certain strange bands, but that is uh, just yeah. just an audio head trip. You know, that's, yeah. that's some wild yeah, shit. Totally. He did um, a, a second CD later on a Japanese label called Dot, Dots Mark, which is just a phenomenal label, um, which is even better. Um, called the Shame of Being a Child, and I don't think I had anything to do with that one whatsoever. Uh, unlike Braid of Muscle. Um, and, and I mean, Jake is just one of those guys who, uh, I mean, I begin other than I mean, just an amazing, hard hitting drummer who can do whatever you want him to do. I mean, he'll do. I, I, it's just been such a privilege to be in a band with him since he was a kid and see him progress. 
Um, and your current band with him is Reeking Cross, which you mentioned, right? Yeah, yeah, man. He's 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 just an utterly sick drummer. And again, like his other bands, Triac, Multicult, Backslider, he's probably in a dozen more. I don't even know the names of. Yeah. Uh, because drummers are you know so scarce as always. Drummers, I, uh, I got a few people in my text messages right now. Will you know a drummer? There's oh, people are always looking for a right? drummer. I'm totally, man. First drummer at the moment, definitely. Yeah, man. I need two. I need yeah, two yeah. Drummers. If any drummers are listening at the moment, just get in touch. We know people. Right? All right, we'll set you yeah, in up. Yeah, man. Um, but if, if they can do a single foot blast, even more so. And Jake is is can can pull that shit off, and, and he's he's just a phenomenal human being, and uh, it, it's a privilege to do anything with that guy, and um, yeah, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, pardon me, was definitely his um, his his idea, and I just added stuff here or there and he kind of edited it and so but you have a lot more uh, input in Reeking Cross yeah I mean Reeking Cross is more or less me and him and uh, Doug who uh, did vocals and bass for Hell Nation which was a band that I just was in awe of for years and um, and and couldn't believe that he was even aware of us, much less willing to do vocals for us. I was kind of, uh, yeah, unscrupulous is probably a, 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 not the way, the way to put it when it came to how I asked people to contribute to Reeking Cross stuff, because I approached Lori from Nuclear Death, Martin from Blood, um, uh, Sammy from Ride for Revenge, just people who I admired, which was like, hey, let's fucking do something together. Uh, do some vocals on this stuff, like Tom from Catastrophic Sexual Urge Motivation. Do some vocals on our LP, and um, and it's just basically me and Jake doing utterly ignorant, improvised noise grind stuff, and having people we respect and admire be a part of it. And um, it's it's been a a, a really fun, um, weird experience, and. We're, I think we're both still shocked that anyone other than two of us gives two fucks about it because it's so stupid. I think but, it's a great premise uh, that you know you're making this uh, kind of like wall of noise, noise core, but you're you're uh, you're inviting a different uh, guest vocalist on each release to kind of change up the atmosphere and the sonic tone of of, uh, of the totally. release. You know that's, yeah. that's that's cool. And um, you've you've got several releases uh, with with. Um, <clears throat> uh, with with I'm sorry with Reeking Cross, uh, of which uh, there's a split with Suppression, a split with Esquela, a split with Mental Abortion, uh, if, if all that's correct, right, and several other splits. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. So so there's a lot to get into with that, and I just also wanted to quickly talk about uh, we mentioned it before in 2018, Enemy Soil gets back together. Um, yeah, I mean this has been covered even by Decibel Magazine. This was a, a big story. I don't want to um, you know. Re, you know, reiterate anything or harp on anything that's already been covered. But how how was that experience for you? I mean, uh, how was it getting to play MDF? Do you feel like you kind of got some recognition that maybe wasn't there the first time around, or something like that? You know, not really. No, no. It, it was, from my perspective, it was just such a. I, I'm just utterly grateful to Rich because. I was in and out of the bands. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I was in and out of Enemy Soil a number of times, and I, I gave Rich a hard time, uh, you know, for dumb shit. Um, we just had differences differences of opinion throughout the years, and there are a bazillion different bass players 
that Rich could have said, you know what, this will work better if we get this guy when we do the reunion. And instead of that, he said, you know what, let's call Mason and do that. And so I'm just filled with utter gratitude toward that dude that he would like, despite the grief I've given him for, you know, whether it's reasonable or dumb shit throughout the last 25 years, 30 years, um, he'd say, hey, like, like, let's fucking do MDF, like, and have fun. And it was a blast. And uh, other than recommending strongly, you never open, or pardon me, you never follow Worm Rot, which is <laughs> horribly ill advised. Never do that. Yeah. That Holy shit, that band is killer. fucking amazing. Yeah. I mean, oh, I love that band so much. Dude, I, I had not heard them before. And they came on and utterly destroyed. And I swear to God, like a third of the crowd left afterwards. Like, never go on after Worm Rot. <laughs> Um, but they were they were phenomenal. Uh, but it was just like fucking fun, man. Like just playing with your friends, and you know, it wasn't it wasn't weird, and it wasn't like some sort of desperate like, hey, we're old, let's do this one last time. Because both Rich and Jr., you know, Pig Destroyer, Gorephobic, like they're way bigger than any Soil ever was, and I'm perfectly happy doing like ignorant ass noise choir with Ricky and Cross like I no aspirations beyond that like I'm old I've got kids like I have no time um so it was just all purely out of like stupid fun and it absolutely was it was a blast and zero regrets and we had a great time and um and Prong, who had the dressing room right before we did, left a bunch of pot brownies before uh, they left, which was amazing. Allegedly. Thank you, Thank you Tommy Victor. Um, and, uh, no, it was, it was a great time, man. And, 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 like, just getting to meet, like, fucking Chris Reifert from Autopsy, like, getting to have a conversation with that dude, Sick. that's worth it right there. Like, even if we didn't play... Like getting to like talk to Chris from Autopsy, and you know Dan Wilker, and just so many like good, inspirational people who are literally doing it sheerly out of love. You know, there's so much, and I forgive me if I sound like a dumbass here, but there's so much cynicism and dumbassery when it comes to like breaking down like you know bands and labels and motivations and whatever but ultimately if you're playing grindcore you're playing it because you fucking love grindcore you're not trying to be famous you're not you know that 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 shit is ancillary if you are trying to get big playing grindcore you're a fucking asshole moron (laughs) okay yeah i mean so you're doing it because you fucking love it and you connect and fuck your cynicism you know, yeah, like man. this is this is stuff people do because it's a passion, and I don't want to fucking hear about anything, you know, people selling out or whatever. It's it's legitimately born of people feeling this urge to express themselves this way, and 
Yeah. I'm sorry if I suck a stupid hippie. Like, I probably no, do. No, I, I, I agree with uh, I agree with that sentiment, and that's what what keeps us going with this music. That's well, you know that's that's one reason why we're doing this um this podcast, uh, and and just going forward from that. Can we expect to see? Uh, is it naive of me to ask? Are we going to see Enemy Soil pop up again for for uh, more shows live or more new material, or is it just kind of like wait and see? No, man, it's done. It's done. And it's it's done um, in a way that is happy, and it, you know, people like we, we we love each other, and it's awesome, and it was a blast and unexpected to even have that you know excuse to. Mm-hmm. come back in the first place but it's fucking done and, and I say that with no you know nothing but utter like happiness that we got to do what we did um, but it, it, it's 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 over with Rich is um, busy with drugs of faith who fucking roll like yes, I, he w- is, I wanted to bring that up yeah he is he is an, a machine you know like that guy I've known him for you know 30 years and he will never stop and it's so admirable because it's not out of anything other than just like legitimate desire to keep on going and creating stuff that he cares about and likes and enjoys. And he's been through more obstacles than most bands have been through um, by himself, you know, and endured a lot of bullshit. Um, you know, some of it courtesy of me. And he's uh, he's he keeps going, man. And uh, more credit. Yeah, yeah, again, we'd love to have Richard on here. We'll, you know, uh, one day to, to give his perspective yeah, on things. I'll get you his contact things. information after this for sure. And and um, yeah, and 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 quickly before we move into um, the album recommendations, before we wrap up, uh, you shared so much with us. I just wanted to to know. We were talking a little bit before. Um, you know, you mentioned now you're you're a little bit older. Uh, you've got you've got your family of your own, um, and your pr- perspective, like a lot of people's, has changed. You mentioned that episode we did be, uh, uh, before about um, gore and the use of shocking imagery and things like that. How has your perspective changed as you've gotten older on controversial things like that in the underground and, and in death metal and grindcore? Um, I, you know, I I will miss uh, completely admit to being um, kind of. I'm a lot softer now than I was because I have a three-year-old and nine-year-old or pardon me, a ten-year-old now and um, seeing, you know we talked about Adam's records, you know, uh, Anal Birth and that shit, you know, and I love Adam, he's awesome Um, but a, a lot of that stuff, like I have to like kind of take a deep breath and emotionally prepare myself to see like an Anal Birth tape or record cover because it's it's kind of jarring and and it's because there's no you know when you're 14 when you're 15 that shit just seems extreme that's cool when you're 45 years old and you have kids and you've seen a kid being born you know in front of you like that shit resonates it's like it's got emotional baggage It, it means something it's not just it's not just kind of gore pornography um it's it means something, and um, I think it's inevitable. And I'm not trying to negate it. I'm not trying to say it's not. It's not, um, in its own way, artistic or interesting or confrontational. I'm just saying it means something different to me now at 44 than it did when I was 20. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think that's I think that's okay. I mean I think that, I think it's fucking normal. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it definitely is different for me now than it was then. And um, and that that you know, Adam aside, Nailworth aside, that extends to uh, boring ass crust or peace punk bands who use um, you know pictures of corpses, you know pictures of dead kids, or you know or whomever on their record covers not so much out of shock value because that kind of shock value that 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 was kind of gone a while a while back you know it's more out of tradition now it's just a very rote thing where it doesn't have the impact it's just sort of like it's an identifier it's sort of like oh yeah i i kind of based on the album cover here i see what this this band's about you know what i mean it's like there's nothing confrontational about it it's just sort of there and it's kind of like uh, it kind of has the same um the same shock value as like a pentagram nowadays in a way you, you, know? you nailed it exactly exactly it's it's that sort of you know it's analogous to black metal in that sort of same way where you know pentagram equals corpse of dead you know afghani kid um and and, and just sort of you're numb to it and it has like the actual it actually has sort of the opposite intention that it's meant for or meant to have rather where rather than a, you know provoking these like you know some feelings of anger or like what the fuck it's like you're just sort of numb because you've seen it so many fucking times yeah it does it doesn't register you know it's just like yeah yeah fucking you, you know what? it's just it, it, it's it it almost feels mundane which i feel like defeats the entire purpose of, of what it's meant to do mm-hmm. absolutely and I, I appreciate your um your vantage point on that uh you know as i said before when we had that episode where we talked a lot about gore imagery and we mentioned all the drum machine grime bands we did neglect to bring up enemy soil so i'm glad that um you reached out to us and we were able to set up this interview because not only did we learn your take on that and some of your personal history with with that uh but we learned so much too about enemy soil and uh, your, your different your involvement in um, you know the, these different projects and stuff. So, just uh, wrapping up, uh, we also ask you um, to to recommend to the listeners uh, an older album or an older release and a, and a newer release. Uh, were you able to come up with anything for us? Yeah, absolutely, man. Awesome. Which would, what do you want first? Uh, let's we do new first. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we start with the new typically. You know? Yeah, go for it. Okay, yeah. I mean, I've, I've listened to your podcast. And I, I probably should have known that, but um, I this was this was tight because I have to tell you, like the, over the last year, the um, and you mentioned Tyler earlier, but the um, exposed is rot, hallucination realized split CD has been a constant rotation. That said, erectile dementia, which is a project done by my friend Doug, um, I mentioned from Hell Nation and uh, funerary box and um god uh Brody's militia endless he's in reeking cross just just a brilliant guy who you know lives in kentucky and this like you know fucking in the woods he's an anti-social motherfucker um he goes in his shed and he records brilliant shit and he recorded one of my favorite noise grind records last year erectile dementia rock and roll abortion Jeez. utterly <laughs> fucking brilliant artwork by morbid mark um who man dude please look it up just okay. it's on Bandcamp. 
go check that shit out. He somehow, and I don't know how he does this. I, I'm not convinced it's not fucking. It, 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 it's it's brilliant. He fuses just the most ignorant ass noise grind with weird seventies. Uh, blues rock classic rock shit in a way that doesn't sound <laughs> completely ridiculous I mean it does but like in a way where you're like hey this is actually angry this is like pissed off but smart and hilarious like it's all of those things like you know how oftentimes when you hear like a grind band like with jokey record titles or, or song titles you're like you kind of write them off because you're like yeah they don't give a fuck they're not like emotionally invested in what they're doing like doug is not that guy like he is pissed and but he's also hilarious and brilliant and you listen to this record and it's infused with like so much passion and anger and hilarity and emotion and you know utter mongoloid rage that it, it has to be admired. So please check out Erectile Dementia Rock and Roll Abortion. Oh, you fucking owe it to yourself to get that LP for the artwork alone. I'm intrigued. Like that is that is a treat before you even hear it. And I, I trust me, hearing it is uh is, is amazing. He that guy is a brilliant and I am privileged to know that guy much less get to be in a band with him. It's fucking awesome. Wow, well, you have a pretty good track record of brilliant friends who make sick grindcore. <laughs> Definitely going to check this out. Yep. Word from the wise. All right, so let's get to an older album, uh, one that maybe we didn't discuss. This tonight. this was easy, and I'm curious to see, um, especially after a conversation about backmasking, how many of you heard, heard of this one? I'm uh, to feel like Grandpa again, but fucking Rigor Mortis, 1988, self-titled. Ooh. You, you did a little bit of foreshadowing, telling us that your uh, your brother and J.R. Hayes used to steal that from you. Bro, they they fucking did, dude. They did uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Demons, Bali Dismemberment, Wizard of Gore. Uh, this is a record I went and walked, um, you know, walked through, you know, ten miles uphill through the snow. Uh, Grandpa's always complaining about yeah. <laughs> to my shitty chain record store when I was uh, a kid and bought it on tape as soon as it came out, '88. And I bought it because of the album cover looked phenomenal. And if you Google it, you will see what I'm talking about. That will appeal to whatever reptilian part of your brain exists. It's it's badass. And you listen to it, and it is the most distinctive sounding record of 1988. Uh, it, it is is it's unabashedly thrash slash speed metal, but it does not sound like your you know Slayers or your uh, you know. Whiplash or um, you know, whatever 1988 album you want to cite as being pivotal for, for speed or thrash it is its own thing uh, born from Texas and uh, just a horror movie obsessed which was you know a hook for me in my 
you know, juvenile mind. You know, it was, it was referencing Reanimator, which was amazing. And uh, wow. please, if you get a chance, check out Rigor Mortis self-titled uh, Texas uh, released in 1988, shockingly on Capitol Records, which I still, despite having read about how that happened for years, I'm confounded how, how they ended up on a major label. It makes no fucking sense whatsoever because they're such an idiosyncratic band. Uh, Mike uh, Scascia, and I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of his name, who it later ended up in ministry, um, just such a distinctive guitar player. Um, he, his riffs were not the they, they they just really had their own vibe completely removed from what like you know Slayer or Metallica or Exodus were doing back in the day they, they he really had his own thing and he was so confident um, in what he was doing fucking listen to Bali Dismemberment or Demons or Die in Pain or fucking Reanimator you'll hear what I'm talking about fucking full confidence and commitment to what he's doing and uh, just a phenomenal guitar player Bruce Corbett who unfortunately died um, just a few months ago uh, I, I have rarely heard vocalists in my life who deliver lyrics with such just bonkers fucking conviction just just where you're like Whoa, what, what the fuck is wrong with you like you are you sound way too passionate singing about a fucking you know, a vampire or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, what you know what I mean. It's just like there's something clearly up, but like you're you're killing it, and yeah, and yeah. just I just do re- remember distinctly being 13, you know, 14 years old, standing at the bus stop listening to this tape nonstop on my Walkman, and just feeling like so energized and invigorated, like this is fucking metal, man. This is what it's about, like this. This is so energizing. These people feel such conviction in what they're doing. And ultimately, that's what it's about. And like, just like fucking that utter conviction, despite what's going on, you know, it, it's, it, it resonates. And it certainly does for me, you know, almost 30 years later. And uh, I, I strongly suggest you check that record out if you haven't already. Well, I, I'm going to um, be embarrassed and admit here that I am painfully unaware or at least unfamiliar with uh, that band. I, I've definitely heard the name and I, I, I need to check that out a little bit more to, to get my old school credentials back.
Jason, uh, we appreciate you bringing uh, the rigor mortis to, uh, back into our attention and bringing our attention also to uh, Erectile Dementia, a band I'm very excited to check out, man. You made, you made quite a pitch for that, for, uh, for that project. And, uh, of course, we, we appreciate so much you taking the time to answer our questions and uh, uh, tell us some stories and uh, some, some backstory on enemy soil and your involvement in the scene and your perception of things. I, I appreciate your viewpoint and um, the, way, the way you dig deep into the noise and the grindcore and stuff, man. It, it brought back some memories of my early tape trading and zine days and all that stuff, man. So um, we're, we're, we're just going to end off here uh, by asking if there's anything you want to plug or anything you want to say to the listeners or anything of that nature. You know, just, I just greatly appreciate you guys having me on here. It's awesome. And I, I want to thank John uh, from Syrup Head Recordings um, for turning me on, me on to your podcast in the first place. I love the podcast. It's fucking awesome. Um, and uh, we, uh, we can cross. We're working on an LP for Born Dead Records. Uh, we've got guest vocals from Lori from Nuclear Death, Martin from Blood, Tom from Catasexual Urge, Urge Motivation, um, Jason from Suppression, just, just a lot of our friends um, who, who we somehow, you know, tricked into contributing to our stupid ass grind. Um, so that'll be out hopefully in the next few months from Born Dead Records. Um, and thank you guys so much for, for having me. It's, it's, it's a privilege. Of course, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Mason yeah, Mason of uh, Reeking Cross, ex-enemy soil, man. Friend of the show now. Thank you so much, brother. You have a great night, and um, we'll keep in touch. Thank you guys so much. Cheers. Cheers, brother. Catch you later, Mason. Did we ever get him on Skype? That was uh, that was great. Ooh. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, we learned a lot about the history of the band Enemy Soil. Learned a lot about noise core and uh, degenerate, brutal music. No, we uh, we learned about his new project, Reeking Cross, and the different guest vocalists that you're going to uh, check out. And of course, we learned about um, erectile dementia. Uh, not a condition. Well, perhaps a condition, but not a condition. A project that we're going to check out. A brutal noise core project. Uh, by uh, homeboy uh, Doug from uh, Hell Nation and Brody's Militia and uh, various other projects. So thanks a lot to Mason for calling in. Grindcore history, not power violence history. Yeah, we learned as such. Big no-no, don't use that word. No, never, no more for us. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, and use drum machines when you get tired of human drummers because, man, what a pain in the ass. They were kind of ahead of the curve on that one because nowadays everybody's like, whatever, man, I got the drum machine. Well, thanks for listening to Heavy Hole Podcast. Yeah, if you want to sponsor us, also no, shoot we'll us an email. Hit us up on our social medias. That's right. Oh, good segue. What are our social medias? We got our Twitter at Heavy Hole Pod. We got the Instagram Heavy Hole Pod. We got a Facebook, and that's also Heavy Hole Podcast. And what do you got the phone number? I do. I, qu- I quizzed him on this. While while Tom looks up the phone number, I'm just going to reiterate. <laughs> thanks a lot to Mason uh, for hollering at us tonight. We skyped big time. We talked a lot of shit. You know, hope hope to get uh, other members of that movement, uh, that that Virginia grindcore movement that he was part of in the future. Uh, let us know, give us some feedback, what you thought on on the uh, on the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, or this phone number right here six three one 
837-3274. Leave us an angry voicemail. Talk about how we never talked about your favorite band. Yep. Yeah, leave us a nice voicemail. Tell us how we talked about your favorite band. Yeah, tell us about some <laughs> uh, show shit. Tell us about that time that uh, you met that guy that was in that band, You and you sound like a jerk in front of him, because we all did it. Did you see Enemy Soil play live with the drum machine? Let us know. And also, an email. We got the heavyholepodcast at gmail.com. Shoot us anything. We are listening to listener recommendations. We're also listening to, if you got a band, shoot us our way. Uh, if it sucks, we'll, we won't say anything. And uh, if it's good, we'll talk about it on the show. Yeah, nobody has to know. We'll keep it on the down low. Mm. That's right. Peace, everyone. Late, everybody. Thank you. Work on your riffs.